0: The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, reveling in all things December. And since it is December, this episode concludes Season 7. And I have to say that when I look back on 2023, one thing I'm super proud of is that with this episode, with these seven seasons, I feel like we're seasoned podcasters now. And honestly, listeners, the greatest gift you have given me is that you are listening. So here I am recapping the episodes that particularly resonated with me and the team, though it is a bit like picking your favorite child. All my guests are my favorites. We kicked off the season with a guest I have long been wanting to have on the show. Doug Holtz Eakin is an economist and the founder and CEO of the American Action Forum, a right of center think tank. Here he is explaining why he supports what he calls the quote-unquote gold standard of a carbon tax as a policy prescription for climate change.
2: I'm a believer in the gold standard of of carbon taxes. So that is an upstream carbon tax. You tax carbon where it enters the economy, coming out of a mine or as an import, whatever it may be, because it could be an import. It's border-adjusted. You tax uh, carbon content of imports and you rebate the carbon content of exports so you don't interfere with location decisions and trade, that's important. Um, You um, uh, don't solve the problem twice. So when you levy the carbon tax and you you raise it to the right level, you get rid of those pieces of legislation that say you must regulate carbon. So Endangered Species Act, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, National Energy Policy Act. There's a a slew of things that have had really expensive regulatory approaches to, to carbon and other greenhouse gases. So get rid of those. And finally... You do it in a revenue-neutral fashion. You, you take the the revenue from the carbon tax, and you use that as the ability to cut other distorting taxes. Like Again, economists lingo taxes on capital and labor. In the real world, you, you'd cut the payroll tax, it's the biggest tax most people pay. You'd cut uh, income taxes, in, including corporation income taxes, uh, to to keep their burdens relatively unchanged. And in doing so, and this is the important thing that for this moment you would not have any impairment to the growth prospects of the economy. You wanna make sure that we continue to have an environment for robust economic growth and innovation that's absolutely crucial for general standards of living. It'll be innovation will be very important in the climate world.
1: Another guest I've long sought to have on the show is Danielle Butcher Franz, one of the founding members of the American Conservation Coalition, and she currently is serving as its latest CEO after the retirement of Benji Backer. Here she talks about how far ACC has come since its inception in 2017. And just a fun thing, I recorded with her on the anniversary of ACC's founding.
3: It feels great. And I have to say, you've caught me on a day where I'm a little bit in my feelings. It's actually our sixth birthday today. And so I've just been looking back at how far we've come over the past few years and all the people who have helped us to make this possible, whether they're people who joined us at the very beginning, people who hopped in halfway through, or even just people who have been cheering from the sidelines. Um, It just, I'm filled with gratitude for all of the people who have made this organization possible. And we're really excited to take the jump from this scrappy startup that we've been for the past few years to this real institution with staying power. It's crazy to think that we were founded because of an idea that happened in a college classroom. I think we have an obligation to raise our voices and say, look, these are our values. They are more right-of-center values, but this is still an issue that is really important that we care about and that we want to see more representation on. And I think our activists have done a great job of that. And the momentum is just building there.
1: Rounding out my list of why haven't these guests been on the show before was Heather Reams, the Executive Director of Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions. I was lucky enough to catch up with her before the 7th Annual National Clean Energy Week, and she shared with our listeners some of the challenges that they discuss at their forums and how the two sides, Republican and Democrat, see climate change. In years
4: past, this will be the 7th Annual National Clean Energy Week, and I'm Recalling one where we were able to have really robust dialogue between Republicans and Democrats, different speaking at different
1: times, but juxtaposing that, you know, you have someone who's a Republican talking about, you know, yes, I believe that the ice caps are melting and we have to do something about it, and then a, you know, a Democrat gets up and says the same thing, and there was like these gasps you can hear, like, really, Republicans think this? Um, I, I think, where though, it's how we solve the problem. And that's where Republicans and Democrats can can differ. But that
4: competition of ideas is what's going to be helpful in solving the problem, like any big complex issue. So this week doesn't, you know, National Clean Energy Week doesn't promise to
1: solve the problems, but it <laughs> certainly is part of the dialogue to get us there. And we're very proud of that. For something new, this season, we featured two healthcare clinicians, Amanda Blanchett and Ethan Sims, who talk about some of the healthcare risks posed to humans by a changing climate.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important message we can deliver is that climate change is the biggest threat to human health um, that we have faced. Um, And we have seen more than 200 medical journals publish a uh, co-signed article about this, During the height of the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, the New England Journal, the British Medical Journal, JAMA, all these, uh, you know, famous trusted institutions stepping forward in the height of a pandemic that was, uh, you know, rocking the world and still recognizing that climate change is the biggest threat to human health.
4: Yeah. And just to add on to what Ethan said, the World Health Organization has recognized climate change as one of the largest threats to human health. Um, but also it's something that we've seen in person with our patients during wildfire season and people having increased lung infections or even people who are typically healthy getting sick um, from some of these climate impacts. And so as clinicians who've taken an oath to do no harm, this is a big part of the puzzle and it can't be ignored.
1: Later in the interview, they talk about diseases like Lyme and Dengue, which are exacerbated by a warming climate, climate, and listeners These are serious medical issues that deserve a serious response and that I do not want to get. It was our pleasure to welcome back a guest from f- the first season. Neil Chatterjee is the former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC as we call it in these parts, as well as a longtime former Senate staffer. We talked to him about some of the hot-button issues facing Congress in 2023, like energy transmission and permit- permitting reform, issues that need to be addressed as part of the package of solving climate change. Here, Neil offers a solution on how this process could politically work?
6: You know, it's just it's it's a challenge, right? Um, I, I could make the case that there's a, a, a real easy compromise to be had here, you know, strike a deal in which, yes, it would better facilitate the building of natural gas infrastructure in the short term. But what enable us to build the transmission to get clean energy onto the grid in the long term and, you know, that should make sense for both parties to come together and, and cut that deal. But, you know, the the political fault lines have just become so hardened. Um, and it's just like I said, it's, it's hard to, to these are hard questions to answer. It's not I don't want to make your listeners think this is only about partisan politics. Um, you know, issues like citing and cost allocation are really thorny. The easiest way to build transmission in this country would be to use existing right of ways. Well then you're subjecting the same communities that saw the last round of infrastructure build out to another round.
1: Earlier this year I had the pleasure of being a guest on the newly launched Green Tea Party Radio, the brainchild of three young conservatives. This is a this is kind of funny, but um Katie Zagruski, one of the guests who then later had on our show, was really fangirling a little bit over me when I was on their podcast. And she described this story about finding republicen.org and we can review it at a time when she was feeling really low and that we gave her a sense of community. And because I loved this story on the original podcast, I asked her to um, repeat it on our show. Is that self-serving? Maybe, but here she is.
7: But I, I grew up a climate denier, In my first semester of college, I took a course called Science and Society, and um, our professor did a really good job of just, like, handing us something to read every single week, and just being like, okay, just read this, just just give it give it a little bit of time, think about it, read it, don't judge it, give it a chance. And after doing this for a whole semester, and all the signs and data and statistics pointing in one direction, that's when I was kind of like, okay... I I would be remiss if I said that climate change was not real. But I don't think that the Green New Deal is a great idea or a lot of these um, solutions coming from the left. So how how do I be an environmentalist without compromising my conservative values? And I, I know we talked about this on the episode that you were on, Chelsea. It was that day that I was standing outside my campus's fountain and I felt so lonely because I was like, okay, good. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of 99% of my college campus that hates conservatives will like that about me, but alas, I'm still a conservative. So everything else about me, 99% of the campus is still going to hate.
1: Nuclear power was a big theme of our year. We had a fantastic webinar, one of our highest attended ever, um, that focused on the film Nuclear Now. That led me to having energy analyst Charles Komenoff on the show. Here's what this former opponent to nuclear power has to say about efforts to shut down existing nuclear power plants in light of the climate crisis
8: well um let's start with the easy issue which is um the need to keep the existing us reactors um online um which they are doing an excellent job of uh of doing by themselves but mm-hmm. um some of them like you know indian point mentioned earlier um have been shut down because of what i think are at this point really mistaken um and almost climate suicidal um dogmatic objections that um, might have had some currency 40 or 50 years ago, but in the face of the climate crisis, um, shutting down existing, well, well-operated and functional nuclear power plants is totally nuts. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of uh, nuts for the simple um, reason that um, you know, let's say, um, well, let, let's keep it forward-looking, and you know, let's say that. Uh, California would have shut down the Diablo canyon plants that would mean that the next batch or big batches of uh, carbon free wind and solar that California would be bringing on instead of those new green resources displacing and pushing out fossil fuels which is what we need them to be doing in Instead, they would be taking the place of an existing, robust and reliable non-carbon source of electricity, namely the Diablo Canyon plant. And sorry, the same new wind and solar, um, at least for a while, it can't do both things at once. It can't uh, displace Diablo Canyon and at the same time push fossil fuels out of the grid. And what it's going to have to be doing is the first and not the second.
1: On a fruitful trip to the Pacific Northwest, where he spoke to students at the University of Idaho, our executive director was talking about carbon pricing and encountered a great question from this next guest, Colby Field, whose family has worked in agriculture for generations. Bob got Colby's contact information and connected us, and I immediately reached out to have him on the show a grad student studying ag economics and a volunteer with CCL, Colby is for some sort of climate action, but one that thoughtfully includes farmers. Here he is talking about how challenging it is to accurately calculate net carbon emissions from farms.
5: I think we need a, an accurate picture of what the on-farm carbon emissions actually are. Because mm-hmm. as I said, we haven't really looked into carbon storage on farms and calculated that, Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some researchers who are working on that in several areas of the country, but actual net, what is the net um, release of carbon? Mm-hmm. Um, in water, there's also an interesting look in virtual water. So when you look at irrigated crops, where does, you know, water that gets put on in a, in a furrow and flows into the crops and a bunch of it flows back into the water system. Well, that's not water leaving the system. Whereas water that goes into a crop and gets taken to market, that water leaves. I think virtual carbon, where does that carbon go and who is, you know, who is bearing the, the, that carbon gets produced when we pump it out of an oil well in Wyoming or Oklahoma mm-hmm. or whatever. It gets refined. It goes to the farm. It gets burned. That means it's going into a crop. What is the carbon footprint of that crop and where is it going? We need a better tabulation of what farm carbon Pollution, for better sake of a, for, for better um, finding of a word, looks like.
1: Shifting gears, if you've been listening, you know that I am heat pump curious as a means to further electrify my home, which currently has solar panels. Uh, spoiler, I haven't had an electricity bill all year. Anyway, we were thrilled when these two guests, academic Alexander Gard-Murray and HVAC entrepreneur Nate Adams, came into our sphere and were able to come on the show to give us both HVAC 101 and also discuss the many benefits of electrification. Here's Nate, aka The House Whisperer, explaining how heat pumps work.
9: Um, it's pretty simple. We all have a heat pump working in the heating mo- or the uh, pulling heat from the cold air in our house. It's called the refrigerator. So the air inside your fridge is a little over freezing, and typically the freezer is around zero uh, Fahrenheit. uh, And there's heat coming out at the bottom getting pumped into the house. Um, Heat pumps can do the same thing for your house um, because it's something a lot of people don't understand. Air conditioners don't actually cool. They just move heat from inside the house to outside the house. And they can also pull heat out of the cold air and pump that inside and it is literally pumping like it, it sucks the heat uh out of wherever it is and it moves it to another place so while it's the, the heat pump moniker sometimes is annoying and people are like well but do i still get an air conditioning well yes because uh, technically it's just pumping heat from one place to another but it can go both ways a heat pump is just an air conditioner that can switch directions
1: rounding out our fantastic seventh season The day before his trip to Dubai, we had climate political reporter Zach Coleman on the show to preview what he was expecting to cover at COP28, which at the time of this recording has now concluded. And guess what? The things he thought he was going to be covering were accurate. There was a discussion over the goal vis-a-vis fossil fuels, whether they should be phased down or phased out. Anyway, listen to Zach and what he was expecting to hear, and then go back and follow some of his reporting, not only on the COP, but all things climate change.
9: Well, I think one of the biggest issues that we're going to be talking about is how these countries come together and write what they think will happen in terms of Uh, fossil fuel phase down or phase out. And I say write this because it's a, a text that will get a lot of political haggling and debate. And it seems as if those words are maybe insignificant to the layperson, but phase down is taken to be a softer sort of touch to how we move away from fossil fuels. It envisions still using them and maybe even for a longer period of time, but potentially with carbon management technology like carbon capture and storage. Uh, And then there's also phase out, which is basically let's stop using this stuff altogether, which is the more aggressive approach. And then you'll also get into terms like unabated versus abated fossil fuels. Uh, The U.S. has taken the position that they want a uh, phase out of unabated fossil fuels, which would be those uh, fuels without emissions control technology.
1: Listeners, obviously we had other spectacular guests on the show, but these are the ones that stood out to me and the team. Obviously, I encourage you to go back and listen to any episodes you missed. And while I have you, since the end of the year is near, I wanted to highlight why I'm walking out of 2023 cautiously optimistic. The introduction in November of the Foreign Pollution Fee Act by Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana is a game changer. The first time a Republican has introduced a meaningful bill that, if enacted, would result in lower global carbon emissions. I have a lot of faith in the use of trade policy as climate policy and hope we can see bipartisan agreement on this type of policy mechanism in the near future. Here is Bob's highlight of the year.
8: The highlight of the year for me is Republicans getting involved in the climate conversation. We had Republicans at the Conference of the Parties, COP28. We had Republican Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota introducing the PROVE IT Act. And we had Republican Senator of Louisiana, Senator Cassidy, introducing the Foreign Pollution Fee Act Act. Those are exciting things. That's Republicans getting in on the conversation on how to solve climate change.
4: And a highlight from our engagement director, Angela Lark. So Bob came to visit me here in Cincinnati this year. And uh, when I say me, I actually mean we were doing a couple of events here and, and Bob came, came to Cincinnati for the events. But what many of our listeners probably don't know about us is that the Republican team, we live on all over the United States. Um, I've actually never met Chelsea or Price in person, and I've met Bob twice now. Um, so it's always really fun when we can get together in person for any kind of events um, where we have team more than one team member there. Um, so Bob came to Cincinnati. We had a conservative climate happy hour with our friends at Citizens Climate Lobby and Ohio Conservative Energy Forum. We had it at Taft's Bruporium, aptly named after our conservative president, William Howard Taft. And for those of you who uh, who aren't necessarily history buffs or natural park nerds like I am, um, Teddy uh, William Howard Taft was the president that came after our revered conservative Conservationist President Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, and we have William Howard Taft to thank for uh, creating both Zion and Glacier National Parks, which um, I would consider part of the part of the Mighty Five that everybody wants to visit if you're a national park enthusiast like me. Um, so another really uh, cool part about this whole visit when Bob came was that I got to do a have a table at the midwest sustainability summit and um so i'm sort within republic ian i really exist in the digital space like i'm responsible for our social media um i i take i'm the keeper of our databases and our metrics and everything that's online and i also um do our our quarterly webinars so i exist really in this digital space um so it it was really really great to be able to actually get out and be in person and interact with people in person and the table that i had at the at the midwest sustainability summit i met so many people i had met people who had no clue who we were people who wanted to stop by and say hey i love you guys you're doing great work keep it up Um, and we were were definitely a really popular table. I was exhausted and so tired by the end of that day, but I spoke to and talked to so many, so many amazing people who were really interested in to hear all about the kind of work that we do. Turning to our esteemed
1: show producer, sports guru, and overall renaissance man, Price Atkinson.
0: Well, the thing that leaves me excited about putting a bow on 2023 and getting ready for a new year is all the events and programming we did this year right at 100 events um, around the country in person and virtual with our executive director and former congressman bob inglis and other members of our team and if you've got something you'd like to partner with us, we would love to talk with you, me specifically, price at republican.org Drop me a line if you've got something you're thinking about in the coming year. But thanks to all our partners that we worked with this year in communities across the country, uh, Florida, Indiana, uh, the Carolinas. Utah, Idaho, so many places in between those that helped and worked to set up uh, opportunities for us to try and reach more and more people on the center right uh, with a message about A conservative solution to climate change, specifically a free enterprise solution led by our man, Bob Inglis. So uh, with 100 events almost in the books for this year, that brings us to over 200 for the last two years. And boy, we want to get off to a running start in 2024. But reaching that many folks is what leaves me excited about closing the book on 2023 and then getting ready for Another big year in 2024. And also love working with the members of our team, Bob, Angela, Chelsea. uh, Certainly lucky to have them as my colleagues. And we all work in harmony as a well-oiled, small but mighty machine. Looking forward to 2024.
1: Listeners, stay tuned. I'll be right back to wrap up the year for good with our producer, Price Atkinson. Price, congratulations. We have another wonderful season in the bag.
0: You are quite the podcast rock star now. After beginning years ago, I don't know if I can do this. Well,
1: you've done (laughs) it. it.
0: (laughs) You you have done it. (laughs) Rock star. We
1: are doing it. Um, It's always really fun to go back and reflect because I'm always thinking forward, right? Who's next? Who's in two weeks? Who's in three weeks? And so it's really fun to prepare these episodes and look back. And it really is a Sophie's choice sort of situation yeah. where we can't feature everyone, but we had some great and interesting guests this season. So if you're listening and you were a guest and you did not make the highlight reel, don't feel bad because you're in the highlight reel of my heart.
4: <laughs>
0: yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it was like a. Okay, the the ones that made the the best of or the championship interviews, so to speak. It's not like that. It was just a what a random sampling of <clears throat> trying to bring out some of the highlights because there were many highlights of folks that we, you know, did not have on best of. So it's just impossible to get them all in at the on one single episode.
3: That's
1: right. And we're just so grateful to have an abundance of people that want to come <clears throat> on the show and share their expertise with us and Uh, so, you know, if you're one of those people who has not put your name forward or has not put forward the name of somebody, you know, whose voice you want to hear, it is not too late. We are very actively in programming mode for season eight. You know, I think we'll take the month of January off and kind of get things rolling in February. So hit us up we want to hear from you, and we want your feedback on what you want to hear.
0: Yeah, definitely stay tuned or um, if you're not following us on social media, uh, hit us up on all the platforms. Make sure you do Instagram, Twitter, or excuse me, the platform formerly known as Twitter, Mm -hmm. now X, Facebook. I guess i got to be correct about it, but (laughs) I think everybody gets the deal. At Republic EN, just give us a follow, and we will let you know when it is Season 8 time, but like said. Said, definitely people got suggestions uh, send them to you who you want to hear between now and you know the start of you know basically the end of january early february when we launched season eight we don't have the date yet like like she said but chelsea it will be around the corner in here before we know it
1: It sure well and um so on that note Price, <clears throat> because also around the corner the holidays what are you most looking forward to doing with your fam
0: um, that is a great and uh, very timely question.
1: <laughs> Are you because, figuring it out?
0: <laughs> um, yes. My daughter has departed for a week pre-Christmas <gasps> trip, and it comes at a perfect time. as They just got out of school today for the rest of the year. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, doing some Christmas cookies with them. I'm looking forward to... I'm um, having a couple of cold beverages. I'm looking forward to winter camp with my son at uh, Scout Camp uh, for about four days at, right after Christmas. Yeah. So it's going to be a busy time. It's going to be a fun a time.
1: Packed, you have a packed, uh, packed 10 <clears throat> days or two weeks or so. So
0: There's a lot happening. A lot yeah. happening. of course, we've got the people's work here at Republican.org right. through the rest of the year, too, because the work never stops. Work
1: never. Stops. What about you? What but do you have planned? We do take off between <clears throat> Christmas and New Year's. Let's not deceive the people. <laughs> well, we do.
0: We do. What do you have planned? other Bob than? Bob, lets
1: us have that time off. So that's very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, my one of my sons is already home, um, but Jack will be home next Tuesday. <coughs> and so all the things you said. We'll be baking some cookies and making some favorite recipes. And our thing is Christmas Eve. Um, we really um, – that's my – Favorite um, night to celebrate Christmas and then on Christmas day they're actually fine to see their grandmother and I'll have some time to myself but I am not gonna have (laughs) nothing to do because I now have a cover for my book and I have to do some like figuring out who are the blur, who's gonna do a book blurb who's going to um who needs just to be like kind of think about the media rollout of of that project so yeah I will be spending some time thinking about that over the holidays and uh, coming back in 2024. <clears throat> hopefully, it's going to be a great year.
0: Well, I'm just re- glad you're recovered or at least still recovering and on the back mm-hmm. side of it. So, you're going to be all holly and jolly for Christmas after I a couple of rough so. days.
1: I'm trying to embrace delight. So, there we go.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to bid you farewell for 2023. I know I will talk to you on the other side. Yeah non-podcast but we will talk again in 2024 with another exciting season
1: yes happy holidays listeners.
9: <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's edition of the eco right speaks podcast brought to you by the team at republicen.org
0: make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader